chapter twelve of unicorns this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. unicorns by james hunnaker chapter twelve the queerest yarn in the world the way the story leaked out was this a young irishman from sligo as he blushingly admitted whose face was a passport of honesty stamped by nature herself had served two customers over the bar of the old chop-house across the street from the opera house to him they were just two throats athirst nothing more they ordered drinks and this first attracted his attention for they agreed on cognac now brandy after dinner is not an unusual drink but this pair had asked for a large glass old brandy was given them and such huge swallows followed that the bartender was compelled by his conscience to ring up one dollar for the two drinks it was paid and another round commanded as if the two men were hurried as indeed they were for it was during an entr'acte at the opera that they had slipped out for liquid refreshments against the bar of the establishment a dozen or more humans were ranged and the noise was deafening but not so great as to prevent the irishman from catching scraps of the conversation dropped by the brandy drinkers their talk went something like this and although michael had little schooling his memory was excellent and being a decent chap there is no need to impeach the veracity of his report the taller man neither young neither old and like his friend without a grey hair burst out laughing after the disappearance of the second cognac i say old pal who was it wrote that brandy was for heroes kipling what the other man stockily built foreign-looking answered in a contemptuous tone sneering like as my informant put it where's your memory gone to rack and ruin like your ideals i suppose kipling what do such youngsters know dr johnson or walter savage lander was the originator of the lying epigram after them byron gobbled it up as he gobbled up most of the good things of his generation and after him the deluge of this mediocre century when i told byron this at milan i think it was he vowed me an ass now it was dr johnson cheer up it's not so bad i remember once at paris or was it vienna you said the same thing about and here followed a strange name and anyhow you are mixing dates lander followed byron please but i suppose he said it first i told metternich of your bon mot and egad he laughed did that old parchment face as for bonaparte upstart and charlatan 
he was too selfish to smile at anybody's wit but his own and little he had do you remember the congress of vienna do i eighteen fifteen some such year or was it in seventeen fifty when we saw casanova at venice well at this point the alarm signal went off and the mob went over to the opera the young bartender's heart was beating so fast that it leaped up in his bosom as he described it two middle-aged men talking of a century ago as calmly as if they had spoken of yesterday flustered him a bit he heard the dates he noticed the perfectly natural manner in which events were mentioned there was no mystification for the first time in his life michael was sorry the between-act pause was so short and he longed for the next one though fatigued from the labours of the last would these gentlemen return for more cognac in an hour they came back with the crowd again drank old five-star brandy and gossiped about a lot of incomprehensible things that had evidently taken place in the sixteenth or seventeenth century at least michael overheard them disputing dates and one of them bet the other that the big fire in london occurred in sixteen sixty six and referred the question to mr peppers or peps some such name ah poor old peeps sighed the dark man if he had only taken better care of himself he might have been with us to-day instead of mouldering in his grave oh well you can't expect every one to believe in your strewed rug cure replied his friend dreamily even her majesty queen anne would not take your advice though mrs masham and mr harley begged her to yes about the only thing they ever agreed upon in their life where is harley to-day oh i suppose in london carelessly replied the other for a young bird of several centuries he's looking as fit as a fiddle but see here swift old boy your bogey tales are worrying our young friend and with that michael says they pointed to him heartily laughed and went away he crossed himself and for a moment the electric lights burned dim so it seemed to the superstitious laddie buck but he had had a good chance to study the odd pair they were not as he repeated old men neither were they youthful say thirty-five or forty years and he noticed this time the freshness of their complexions the brilliancy of their eyes they were just gentlemen in evening clothes and had run across broadway without overcoats a reprehensible act even for a young man but they were healthy self-contained and hard-headed they took according to the statistician beyond the bar about a quart of brandy between them and were as fresh as daisies after the fiery stuff who were they blaggers said i after i had carefully deciphered the runic inscription in michael's mind this was a week later two fellows out on a lark bent on scaring a poor irish boy but what was swift or queen anne or metternich or mr harley to him just words bonaparte he might be expected to remember it was curious all the same 
that he could reel off the unusual names of mrs masham and casanova the deuce was there something in the horrid tale two immortals stalking the globe when their very bones should have been dissolved into everlasting dust two wraiths revisiting the glimpses of the moon hold on strodbrug who was strodbrug what his cure i tried to summon from the vasty deep all the worthies of the eighteenth century strodbrug swift strodbrug sir william temple strodbrug ah by the great horn spoon the strodbrugs of the island of laputa gulliver's hideous immortals and then the horror of the story enveloped me but despite my aversion to meeting the dead i determined to live in the chop-house till i saw face to face these ghosts from a vanished past my curiosity was soon gratified as the sequel will show just one week after the appearance of this pair i stood talking to the irish barman when i saw him start and pale ha i thought here are my men i was not mistaken two well-built and well-groomed gentlemen asked for brandy and swallowed it in silence they were polite enough to avoid my rather rude stare no wonder i stared they recalled familiar faces yet i couldn't at once place the owners presently they went over to a table and seated themselves loudly calling for a mug of musty ale i boldly put myself at an adjacent spot and continued my spying tactics the friends were soon in hot dispute it concerned the literary reputation of balzac i sat with my mouth wide open the elder of the pair the one called swift snapped at his friend zounds sir you and your balzac hogwash and roosters in rut that's about his capacity of course when you own dull stuff appeared he praised you for the sake of the paradox you moderns balzac the father of french fiction you the father or is it grandfather of psychology a nice crew that boy maupassant had more stuff in him than a wilderness of zolas goncourt and the rest he is almost as amusing as paul de Kock. the other the little man bristled with rage because you wrote a popular boy's book full of filth and pessimism you think you know all literature and didn't you copy cyrano de bergerac's voyageur and defoe you satirize every one except god whom you spare because you don't know him i don't care much for balzac though i'm free to confess he did treat me handsomely in praising my chartreuse good god i groaned it's stendhal otherwise henry bale laying down the law to the tremendous author of gulliver's travels and yet neither man looked the accepted portrait of himself above all no strawbrug moles were in view i forgot my former fear being interested in the dispute of these two giant writers who were more akin artistically than ever taken cognizance of by criticism dead what did i care they were surely alive now and i was not dreaming i didn't need to pinch myself for my eyes and ears reported the occurrence a miracle 
why not miracles are daily if we but knew it living is the most wonderful of all miracles the discussion proceeded swift spoke tersely just as he wrote enough friend bale you are a charlatan your knowledge of the human heart is on a par with your taste in literature you abominate flaubert because his prose is more rhythmic than yours i vow i protest interrupted stendhal no matter i'm right Merimée, your pupil is your master at every point i could no longer contain myself and bursting with curiosity i cried pardon me dear masters for interrupting such a luminous altercation but notwithstanding the queerness of the situation may i not say that i meet in the flesh jonathan swift and henri bale stendhal discovered by the eternal jehovah roared swift adding an obscene phrase which i discreetly omit stendhal took the incident coolly as i am rediscovered about every decade by ambitious young critics anxious to achieve reputations i am not disturbed by our young friend here your apology monsieur is accepted pray join us in a fresh drink and conversation but i was only thirsty for more talk oceans of talk i eagerly asked stendhal who regarded me with cynical eyes all the while fingering his little whisker did you ever hear chopin play who he solemnly asked in turn is chopin he was at his best in the forties and as you didn't die till pardon me monsieur i never died your chopin may have died but i am immortal you venerable strulbrug giggled swift i was disagreeably impressed yet held my ground you must have met him he was a friend of balzac his music was then in vogue at paris i stumbled in my speech he probably means that little polish piano player who dangled at the petticoats of georges sans interpolated swift i knew crema rosa rossini i saw but i never heard of chopin as for the sans woman that cow who chewed and rechewed her literary cud don't mention her name to me please she is the village pump of fiction water wet water balzac was bad enough my heart sank chopin not even remembered by a contemporary this then is fame but the immortality of stendhal of swift what of that its reality was patent to me perhaps balzac sans flaubert were still alive i propounded the question swift answered it yes they are alive my strollbrugs are meant to symbolize the immortality of genius only stupid people die sans is a barmaid in london balzac is on the road selling knit goods and a mighty good drummer he is sure to be but poor flaubert has had hard luck he was the reader to a publishing house and forced to pass judgment on the novels of the day favourable judgment mind you on the popular stuff he nearly burst a blood vessel when they gave him a marie corelli manuscript to correct to correct the style mind you he flaubert the gods are certainly capricious now the old chap he has aged since eighteen eighty is in new york reading proof at a daily newspaper office he sits at the same desk with ben de casser and every time he mutters over the rhythm of a sentence 
then raps him on the knuckles and says you are an old-fashioned bourgeois pop flaubert some night i'll take you over to jack's and recite my sermon on suicide to teach you what brilliance and bovaryism really mean i was shocked at this blasphemy and said so stendhal calmly bade me to keep my temper but isn't mr swift joking mr swift is always joking was the far from reassuring reply to fill in the interval i called for the waiter the ghosts again demanded cognac stendhal looked like the caricature by felicien ropes in which his little pot-belly figure broad face snub nose and protuberant eyes are shown dominating some strange cosmopolis of nineteen thirty two in life or death he seemed supremely self-satisfied he glowered at the name of flaubert rejoicing in the sad existence of the mighty prose master but he smiled superciliously when i approached him with not knowing chopin heine's poetic fantasy of the gods of greece alive and still in hiding was not precisely convincing in the present reincarnation a feeling of repulsion ensued and finally i arose and said good-night to my very new and very old friends swift's picture of the strolbrugs was realized and it was an unpleasant one men of genius should never be seen in their works alone they live swift with his nasty sly constipated humour stendhal with his overwhelming air of arrogance and superiority did not win my sympathy they evidently noted my dismay you're disappointed so sorry said swift ironically at first i was vastly intrigued at the opportunity of talking with one of you modern persons but i see i'm mistaken ah bail what do you say stendhal pondered cimarosa rossini and haydn i knew correggio i admire but who was chopin stung to anger i retorted yours is the loss not chopin's whereat michael the bartender merrily laughed and the company joined him i was the sacrificial goat my head was on the chopping block and stendhal was the executioner forgetting the respect due to such illustrious shades i shook my finger under stendhal's upturned nostrils you may be a couple of impostors for all i know but even if you are not i wish to tell you how heartily i dislike your petty carping criticisms better oblivion than immortality for your lean and sinister souls again hysterical laughter as i left i overheard swift say in reproachful accents as if his vanity had been wounded this saucy yahoo reads our books and believes in them but when we talk he doubts us as sam johnson used to say the reciprocal civility of authors is one of the most risible scenes in the farce of life stendhal boomed out he is dead himself but doesn't know it yet all critics are stillborn but we live on forever garon some more brandy out on crowded expressive broadway i stood dazed and irritated after all the palaver of authors it is the critic who has the last word like a woman rejoicing over the originality of the idea i went my wooden way End of chapter twelve